Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome into the nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for the next hour or so. As we wrap up a hump day here on WGR, happy Wednesday to all. Weather's getting better out there. Sun was shining. It's taking a lot longer for the sun to go down, which is always a very nice moment for me. But I do know spring is really on its way. We're getting very, very close, at least, when conference tournaments begin in college basketball. For those who don't know it, it is one of my favorite times of the year. March Madness is is my favorite time of the year. Is summer my favorite? No, March Madness is. But it's just it, like there's college basketball games on both men and women just all day. And it is one of my favorite things to do. I On the studio right now, I've got the St. Joseph's George Washington game on the A-10 tournament going on right now. St. Joseph's up right now, 82-74. I, liked, I do like gambling on these games as well. I'm not somebody that, you know, every night I, I, I gamble or anything like that. But, like, for March Madness, I'll throw, you know, two bucks on a five-game parlay. Just have a little fun with it just to get, kind of add that little more that little more juice to, to the afternoon. Because I'm already going to be watching all the games, so it's like, eh. I pay attention probably way too much on college basketball. Let's see if I can make some money from it. Richmond kind of hurt me earlier today, but we're making it back. Big news today in the world of college basketball, though, and that's kind of where I want to start tonight. We will talk a lot more about the Sabres and their very much tightening of the playoff race. It is not looking great right now. Last night's loss does not hurt them nearly as much as it, as it would have hurt the Islanders, but it's still not looking great. And we'll also talk about the Bills as well, because I do want to give my opinions on the Stephon Diggs situation, him tweeting cryptically and all that stuff. I, I, I want to give my thoughts on that. But to start out tonight, if you have not heard some breaking news from earlier today, not that long ago, about two or three hours ago, Legendary Syracuse head coach Jim Beheim either retired or was relieved of his duties. It's kind of up in the air about what actually happened. Neither the press release or really even the tweet of Syracuse actually said that he retired. They just kind of said, like, hey, congratulations on 47 years, and uh, you're not the coach anymore. I'm going to say he officially retires after 47 years with the program. Of course, the university did announce that. During his tenure, Beheim achieved five Final Fours and a national championship in 2003. And if you also have not heard, Adrian Autry has been named the team's next head coach. He played with Syracuse from 1990 to 94, and he's been an assistant with the team since 2011. Just kind of my quick thoughts on Jim Beheim, Just as a whole, 
I am a big college basketball junkie. I, I, I do like kind of the history of the game as well, and this is where it's gonna, I'm going to kind of get into it with Bayheim at least. Um, the Big East is, is, for me, the best college basketball conference. And seeing Syracuse leave said conference to go to the ACC never really sat right with me. I really didn't like it. And this is before I even got really big into the sport as well. It just never felt right because Syracuse just was always a Big East program, along with Georgetown, UConn, Providence, and so on and so forth. Those were always the Big East teams. Nova, of course. And it just felt weird to see a team like Syracuse go to the ACC with the likes of Miami and Florida State and Duke and Carolina, NC State. Like, that, like that never fit. And, and almost to a point to me that kind of felt like the actual sort of fall of the program. Syracuse, just it, it didn't matter. They were always in the NCAA tournament. But really when they left the Big East – is when for me it just it, it has not felt right since. I want to make sure I get the the year right about when they left the Big East to go to the ACC and and that as well like the Big East kind of had to like refigure itself out as well. But they've absolutely bounced back and uh, Syracuse goes to the ACC in 2013. And really, you look at it since then. They've had a Final Four appearance, but. In 2014, 2015, 18, and 13, even that final four year, they weren't great. And even after that, they immediately then go to the NIT, make a Sweet 16 run, but not great. They barely make the tournament in 18, 19. And then the last four years has just been not a nightmare, but not good. They did not make the tournament last year at 16, 17. They're not going to make the tournament this year. So now we're going on two years without them even being there. Postseason wasn't held in 2019-20, but they were 18-14, and 10-10 and 10 in conference. They're likely not making it there. And you look when they were in the Big East. It was them. It was Georgetown. It was Villanova. Just back and forth, back and forth. Great team after great team. And since then, it, just, it has not been the same. And you can blame also as well the scandals that had kind of gone on there and the fact that he's actually lost a number of his wins, even though he is the second winningest coach in college basketball, in men's college basketball history. But I think this is a right decision for Syracuse, even if he didn't retire, if they did fire him and they're kind of just being gentle about it and saying, hey, you know, congratulations on 47 years, but like, please don't, like, we're done, we're done. And even Bayheim today in his post-game press conference, they did lose to Wake Forest in the ACC tournament. He kind of seemed like, it is what it is. Like I kind of gave my retirement speech already. Like he's kind of, he's very much like set in where he's at. I didn't feel watching that conference and listening to it that like he was like upset at the potential of him leaving. He's on the older end. He's, he's done all he can. He's done more than enough. I think he was just kind of done. Like he was like, all right, I'm out. He's 78 years old. Like I think to a certain point you are kind of like, I'm done. I want to like enjoy my retirement years rather than, you know, be 80, 81, 82 years old and, you know, call it quits. I mean, what do you, how much can you really do in your 80s where like you can truly enjoy every aspect of it? You're, 80, you're in your 80s. So good for him on that. And I think as well, good on Syracuse. Number one, they bring in a guy that's been there forever in Adrian Autry. He's played in the 90s. He's been with the Syracuse program since 2011 as an assistant coach. And then in the last, I think, four or five years, he's been the assistant head coach. So you bring in a younger guy, but somebody that knows the program. And, and this is going to be the big thing, too. You're, you're recruiting out of Syracuse, New York. Central New York, 
actually get more snow than Buffalo, even though they don't necessarily have that title, or at least openly-wise. But it's still central New York. It's not, like, the best in the world. But there is still that brand. There is still, it's not the Carrier Dome anymore, but the Dome. You still have that to recruit to, and you are still in the ACC. I think Syracuse can rise, and I think a lot of that, too, is I don't know how well Bayheim really adapted to the new recruiting I guess structure with NI with NILs and and kind of being openly able to pay players as well. I don't think the team really ever adjusted to leaving the Big East where they had very natural rivals. Syracuse and Georgetown was one of the top three games in college basketball to watch in terms of rivalries. The other being, of course, Duke and North Carolina. And then after that, it was kind of pick your poison based on the year. But it was always Georgetown, Syracuse. Duke, North Carolina, and then it kind of was up and down depending on the year. You know, Big Ten, you get Michigan, Ohio State, or Michigan State and Michigan, stuff like that. UNLV, Duke, which is because of all the Final Fours they went to. Kentucky, Louisville as well. But, like, those two were, like, the big rivalry. Syracuse is a part of that. But looking at at, at those programs as well, Duke is not doing that well post-Coach K. He, they, they're, they're just not. They're fine. But they're not by any means Duke. They're not in the top 25. They kind of look like a team that is going to make the tournament, but not really going to be like that great. And even North Carolina, post the Roy Williams era, is very much in a worse spot compared to Duke. They came in this year as the number one team in the country and have since just completely been, I don't want to say a tire fire, but... To be perfectly honest, a tire fire. They come in with the number one rank, and they just almost right out of the gate after their little, you know, four or five games of, of tuning up the preseason, lose to Iowa State, Alabama, Indiana, Virginia Tech. Bang, 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 bang. They're five and four, and they're out of the top 25 after being number one. And it has not looked great for them since. And then Georgetown. Georgetown I can go on about for quite a bit because if those that don't know, I am a big Big East basketball fan. I am a Providence fan. And so for me, I guess there is that positive there where ultimately I do get, you know, maybe the best coach in the Big East and Ed Cooley on my favorite team. But Georgetown, since hiring Patrick Ewing, uh, number one, it, for my, it, and, and maybe I'm I'm an outlier here, you know, let me know on Twitter, at Zachary Jones 198. I think it is ridiculous and an awful, awful decision by any university to hire a legend, to be your head coach. It is an always awful decision. Even if it ends up working out, there's far too much risk that that said decision could kill your program. It's too difficult to fire them. They're usually loved by the boosters. The university adores them. They probably brought in way more money than anyone wants to talk about. And if you bring them in, it becomes nearly impossible to fire them. Patrick Ewing is really, I, I guess to me, the kind of culmination and the and, and sort of the thesis statement to this whole thing, or, or the main character to this, not the thesis, but the main character to this. He gets hired at Georgetown after just an awful run with, with, with John Thompson III. John Thompson's obviously his son. And Georgetown still had a little bit of the Georgetown to them when when Thompson the third was the head coach there. They've completely lost all of that since Ewing has gotten there. In his five years, I would think likely he's going to get fired after this year. In 2017-18, they went 15 and 15, 5 and 13 in the Big East. His second year, a little bit better, 19 and 14, 9 and 9 in the Big East. And they went to the NIT. 
19, 20, 15, and 17, 5, and 13, tied for eighth in the conference. 2021, they did actually win the Big East tournament. They went 13 and 13, 7 and 9 in conference, but they did win the Big East tournament. They got smacked in the first round. And these last two years have been an absolute joke and have completely crippled that program. I think there's a number of things that have hurt that program, but Patrick Ewing being I just flat out a bad head coach has not helped them and has only hurt them as the years have gone on. Six wins in 21-22, seven wins this past year. 0-19 last year in the conference, just 2-18 this year. It doesn't help either that they play in the Washington Capitol or in, in, in Washington's arena. It doesn't help even a little bit. The Wizards are an okay draw in Washington, D.C., but Georgetown not being good at all, it's far too big of an arena to try to fill up. Even, even the Dome with Syracuse, they block part of it off because they know it, it, it's nearly impossible to fill those kind of arenas, especially for a college team. And Georgetown and Syracuse have very similar resumes to them. But you just, I don't know. I, I'm excited for what can be coming down the pipeline for Syracuse. Because this is a move that's somewhat been, like, just kind of been talked about, like it's potentially happening. I feel it for the last five years. That is this Bayheim's last year. Should it be his last year? Like, I don't really think a lot of Syracuse fans are sitting here going, the program's dead, we're done, now that he's gone, it's over with forever. Because I think a lot of Syracuse fans actually just wanted them to move on. I was dating a girl for a few months who was who went to Syracuse. Her family's from Syracuse. That was the, uh, the first time I'd ever been to the university. Got to see a football game this September, and I was talking to her dad about Beheim because I'm a I'm a huge college basketball fan. So a lot of it was like we were talking at the time. Yeah, you got to come up for a basketball game, and I'm like, oh my gosh, absolutely. Like you know, I'm not I'm not a big Syracuse fan, but I will absolutely root for him against any ACC team. I have no problem with that. And we just got to talking about Bayheim's legacy. And it, it was her dad. It was her sister's boyfriend. Like, all of them are from the Syracuse area. And they're kind of just throwing their opinions at me. But it was all the same one. bayheim has been great. It's time to move on. It's time to get somebody else. It is time to get younger. It is time to develop, you know, more as a program than just sitting on the, essentially, the, the road paved by Bayheim. It's time for someone else to put their own legacy on it. And you could kind of tell all of them, we're just, this year's not going to be good. We don't really care. Like we're, like, we're still Syracuse basketball fans. And like they have good enough talent to like potentially have a big upset, but like we'll see. So it was kind of interesting for me to see that because I, as a, I, as a fan, I've never experienced a coach like that. I've, I've not been a fan of any organization or school or whatever that's had a coach for that long. I think the, the, the best case scenario for me is probably Mac Brown at Texas, but I was so young when he, when he kind of was fired. And by the time he was fired for a lot of Texas fans as well, his, he kind of worn out the national championship in 05, 06. Like he had kind of wore on that dry and people wanted a new face and of course he's he's landed well on his feet in North Carolina Texas is seemingly getting back on the right path but I think that's the closest for me but like Duke fans Duke fans I I would imagine they were stunned and, and upset when Krzyzewski retired and, and I, I and Villanova fans probably the same thing with Jay Wright but I don't know Syracuse fans I've gotten at, from the few that I've talked to it feels like a lot of them have the same opinion of I'm glad that's over with. I'm glad that's done. I'm glad we can move on to the next phase because it was bound to happen. And and good for them. Like that that's awesome. Good. I I'm all about let's get to the next phase of 
everything. I'm more than okay with that. I have no problem with that. Because if you just, to me at least, I I don't know, maybe Syracuse has stuck around too long with Jim Beheim and maybe do kind of the same thing with Coach K before he retired. Did it get to a point where now your program isn't your program, it's the coach, and that's who everyone's going to? I remember I was reading a few articles when Krzyzewski did retire, and that was kind of the big thing is like, is Duke actually a big-time program or is it just Coach K? Like, John Calipari has made his name at a number of universities before getting to Kentucky. Memphis, of course, UMass. He had made his name a number of times. McCronin before getting to UCLA, big time in Cincinnati, where Beheim and Coach K both got their starts realistically. I mean, Coach K had coached at Army, I think, for two years. Beheim, I believe, went right to Syracuse with coaching. But both had made their marks at the school that they would then stay at forever. And they sometimes do become bigger than the school. Actually, oftentimes they will. Alabama was great before Nick Saban got there, at least with college football. But at this point now, the Saban brand is kind of... Saban and Alabama are are, are lockstep now. They are the same brand. I do wonder how Alabama will be when Nick Saban does eventually hang up the whistle and just decide, I'm done. Alabama has gone through a number of great coaches, Bear Bryant as well, but they've gone through a period of time as well that they were bad. <laughs> they were not good. Even before Nick Saban got there, they were not good. And then Texas, is, as a fan there, I, I will never, ever sugarcoat how I feel about Texas. They've been awful since Mac Brown left. For the most part, they've been absolutely terrible. And even this year, they had moments of greatness, but they were awful. But there is still that Texas brand that you'll routinely get four- and five-star recruits that will wind up at the school. Are we sure that it's going to be the same with Duke and with Syracuse? Duke, we're seeing now, they're kind of trying to find their feet. They're learning to walk again without Coach K. I think they're going to be fine, especially they're in the ACC. A lot of money at that school. Cameron Indoor Arena is a famous arena as well. I think I think Duke will be fine. They'll make the tournament. I think maybe they'll win a game, maybe two. And if they can get to the Sweet 16 in their first year without Coach K, they'll be fine. Cuse, though, is kind of running into an issue where they didn't really retire on, or their, their legendary coach did not retire on top. That Coach K, that Beheim leaves when the program is maybe at its worst and it is at its most apathetic. That it's just, it's kind of like, we're here, we're playing basketball, and that's really about it. There's really not much other positive things going on at Syracuse at the moment, at least in the basketball program. And so for them, I think they did make a really good hire in Adrian Autry. But. Is it better to kind of get a guy who's been there since 2011? Like, to me, it, I, I think for the most part, it is a good idea to get the head coach who's been with the program forever. He played at the program. all the, like he, he just knows it because Syracuse is that kind of program. Duke did the same thing with their coach. He had played there in the early 2000s. He comes in, beautiful, boom. He knows the program. Syracuse, though, I think is, is a school that needs to do that more. You need somebody that knows how to recruit out of Syracuse. Again, it is central New York. Yes, you can get a lot of kids from New York City and New Jersey and, of course, even just New York as a whole, western New York, central New York, all that stuff. And it's a, and it's a great recruiting bed. It always has been. But with the, how the program has looked really since 2011, is it that good of an idea? 2012-2013 really is the last truly great year of Syracuse. 30-10, and 10, they make the Final Four. 
They were in the Big East. They were amazing. They were a phenomenal team. Michael Carter-Williams, Jeremy Grant. That was a very, very good team. And they beat really good teams as well to get to where they where they ended up going. Indiana, Marquette, they barely lose to Michigan, who they themselves obviously will finish up runner-up. But that was like the last great year. Yes, they have another Final Four run in 2015-2016. 23 wins in that year, including the tournament, obviously. But that was a team as well that I remember when they got in, people were upset. That it was like, ugh, it's just because it's Syracuse, they got in. And to be honest, they didn't really finish the year well either. They lost four of their last five and then immediately were bounced in the second round of the ACC tournament. They didn't have to play the first round. They were seated high enough for that. They went 500 in ACC play. Obviously, it bounced in the first round. And then they go on a bit of a run. They beat Dayton. They don't have to play Michigan State. They play Middle Tennessee State. They played a a not bad, but definitely not great Gonzaga team. And then they beat Virginia. I think Virginia easily is their best win there. But that was in the Elite Eight. I mean, like, like they they played some really easy teams, easy easy teams. I like every every team that gets into March Madness has a shot at winning a game. Like, so I when I say easy, I don't, I don't mean it by that stretch. But in terms of the best team they could have played, it's not. It's been a long time since Syracuse has been good, has been relevant outside of it's just the Syracuse brand. Jim Beheim is the head coach, and it's going to be really really interesting to see how they react to it. Because you're seeing a number of programs not really react the best with their great or legendary or whatever head coach leaving. Villanova is is kind of lost in the desert right now. They've got Kyle Neptune there, comes over from Fordham, and they're sort of trying to figure everything out. They're just overall not a great team. And Villanova, for the last 10 years, has been the pinnacle of just consistently going to win 25 games. And they're going to win at least two games in the NCAA tournament. And if not, it's one of the biggest upsets of said tournament. Georgetown hasn't been good in a long time. They're kind of the same thing as, as Syracuse. I'm kind of on the on the edge, though, with Georgetown. I think they're just done. I think they're not even one of the best teams in the Big East. They don't obviously have one of the better coaches, and it's already a difficult school to recruit with anyways because of how difficult it is to get into said school. Syracuse is also it, its own level of difficulty, but Georgetown, I just don't see a ton of positives there. And then you have Duke and North Carolina, who this year just weren't really great overall. Duke kind of got its stuff together, but they're also both sort of reeling from it. And it's not like these a lot of these schools haven't had great coaches retire before. Villanova has, of course, North Carolina has with Dean Smith. And then, you know, Kentucky has had to go through coaches a ton and, and all that stuff. It's not out of the realm of possibility that you have to. Georgetown with John Thompson. Bacuse is kind of in a really interesting scenario where, like, outside of Bayheim, like, Syracuse really doesn't have much of a history in terms of being a successful basketball program. And he's been there for 47 years. He's been there for a very, very long time. And it's them and Duke that are really those two teams that are kind of trying to tread water and sort of figure themselves out before they kind of can really step on land again, before they can really kind of, you know, flex their muscle a bit in who they're going to be. It was a tough day overall for local basketball programs as well. UB women fall in overtime to the number one seed in the MAC tournament on the women's side in Toledo, 75-74, a tough loss there. Bonaventure falls as well in the A-10 tournament to Davidson. 
And then, of course, Syracuse loses to Wake Forest. St. Bonaventure is is such a fascinating program for me, too. I, like, I, on a personal note, I was recruited by them to swim, so I, I, I'll all, I didn't go there, but I'll always have that little bit of an attachment to St. Bonaventure. I love going down to Olean and seeing those games. The Riley- Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Center is a is a raucous arena to watch a game, and I love it. I love that it hasn't been changed since it feels like the '60s. But they're a team that I think is on the upswing. But it's just it, it, it's tough because you go back to those the heydays of of really both UB programs, men and women. And Bonaventure was kind of supposed to add themselves to that roster of, of really good Western New York college basketball over the last 10 years. And it just, it was so disappointing the last two years for St. Bonaventure. And even this year, they're kind of a bit of a rebuild. Mark Schmidt is one of the best head coaches in college basketball. He's just very underrated because there's not a ton to work with at Bonnie's, but he's making it work. And I just, I, I want them to have a great run one of these years, like a truly great run. Cause I feel like that's a program that really does deserve it. I think they get talent to do so, but it's just, hasn't really worked out. And then UB women as well. They're kind of as well trying to sort of figure themselves out. They'll get good again. I'm not really worried about them. The men I'm a little more shaky on. But it's a tough day overall. The UB men get their tournament started tomorrow along with Niagara. So we'll see if, if all the Western New York teams are knocked out in one and done kind of deal. Canisius also was knocked out, I believe, last night. So it's it's definitely... It's not what it has been the last few years, but hopefully Niagara and UB tomorrow, the men's team, can get on the winning side of things. We're going to take a quick timeout and we come back. We'll talk the Sabres game last night and where where this team is now after falling to the Islanders. They're still in the playoff hunt, of course, but they're going to have to go on a win streak here, and they've got a tough lineup to finish out this week. We'll do that when we come back. This is the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for the next half hour or so as we wrap up a Wednesday here on WGR. No Sabres game tonight, obviously, since I am talking to you. We do have one tomorrow night as the Sabres host the Dallas Stars at 7 and on Saturday as well. I believe it's also a 7 o'clock puck drop as they host the New York Rangers. 
Last two losses, though, have been really, really rough. I it, like it's just very, very frustrating losses overall. They've lost four of their last five. I like I, I don't want to just like harp on these two losses and be like, this is the reason why things fall apart. They haven't looked great realistically since the All-Star break. They have not looked that good. They've had moments where they look wonderful. The Washington game, really, to be you know more specific, Washington and Tampa. But they've had a really rough go as of late. But the last two losses especially. It's reminding me a lot of the eight-game losing streak. And I don't mean because like they're about to lose eight games. I don't mean that. But it's the fact that like they just cannot drag any game to overtime. They have such a difficult time of just getting, you know, our, our own Paul Hamilton says this all the time, loser points. They just have such a difficult time of just dragging a game to overtime. They may not be even be playing that well. Last night they got outshot by the Islanders, one of the most boring teams to watch in hockey. They just they looked gassed. And they just couldn't get that last goal. On the kicked into the net thing. I'll be honest, I was having a blast, though, most of that game. I was on, like, a five-minute delay. For whatever reason, my ESPN Plus was just, it was not syncing up correctly with, like, essentially everybody else that was watching the game. So I was watching it on quite a bit of a delay. And the reason this is funny and why, like, I'm not going to be as angry as Bulldog was at the end of show Bulldog is because I'm getting texts from my buddies that are also watching the game, like, giving me essentially live updates and I'm not asking for them. It's just, they think I'm with them in terms of the, you know, actual viewing like that I'm, I'm on time with them and I wasn't. So I'm getting, you know, when a poso tied it up, you know, they're calling like, you know, you know, dad just scored a poso just scored all this stuff. And like, I'm, I'm like, all right, cool. So I'm going to see that in a few minutes and I'm just like waiting to see it. I'm like, all right, sick. That was a sweet goal from the blue line. Wonderful. And then fashion's goal goes in and like, Everybody was like, well, that's, I mean, that's going to stay a no goal. Like, there's no way this comes back. I did not see the messages for whatever reason. I kind of just like put my phone away or it just wasn't like, you know, I just wasn't paying attention. I was watching the game, I was catching up and kind of all that stuff. And for whatever reason, I didn't see the messages of all of them freaking out. So when I saw it, I was immediately like, what are you guys doing? No one can be. And um, I, you know, I see it, but truthfully, watching it, I don't understand it. I really, really don't. It, it, you called it no goal on the ice. I thought it was a fine call. There was no problem there at all. And then all of a sudden they're just like, nope, it's actually a goal. No, he's totally fine. And like the overhead camera kind of showed he moves his leg into the position, into a motion of a kick to direct the, to redirect the puck into the net. It just, it was very, very frustrating. But to be honest, watching that whole game, it, it just, they played like they were out of gas. That whole second period, it was just, it felt like they were just, wave after wave of Islander attacks just coming and they were just trying to survive. And then the third period, it was sort of the same thing of just like, they're out of gas. They're just not playing well at all. It's a young group. Yes. But it just, it felt like they had nothing left in the chamber. And, and, and some of the stuff was just frustrating. Jacob Bryson, you've probably seen the stilled image of him having a wide open shot to the net in a great position right around the faceoff circle on the, if I'm looking at it from this, I think it would be like the left-hand side. And he just passes it to Skinner, who's going behind the net. It was just, it was mind-boggling. And live, I didn't think about it until Skinner got the puck and and the play kind of continued. And I went, why didn't he shoot that? Like, it just, it immediately didn't hit me until basically the pass had happened that I went, oh, what just happened here? Because I just, it was it was one of those plays, kind of the same thing with the goal that I was just instinctively, I'm like, he's going to shoot here. All right, that's not going to be a goal. And neither went that way. And it was it was horribly frustrating. 
the Edmonton game was a blast. It was fun to watch, and it, was, it just kind of felt like, darn, all right, they lost 3-2. to two. Probably should have gotten at least a point out of that, but you know what? We move on to the Islanders. That's the big game. And the Islanders just felt like, oof, they are just trying to survive here. They're getting out goalied again. It's just like, it's unbelievable plays the last two nights against opposing goaltenders, and it's been so, so frustrating. They do have big games coming up against Dallas and, of course, the Rangers. They do have one of the hardest schedules left in the NHL. And they still have a shot at the playoffs. It's not like they're mathematically out. It's not even like they're out out in terms of, like, yeah, I think we should start wrapping that up. But ultimately, teams like Ottawa and Florida have, at least on the app I'm looking at, have passed them. Ottawa's tied with with the Sabres at 68 points, each team having played 63 games. Florida's ahead of them. Yes, they've played 65, but they're but they're ahead of them in two points at 70. And then the Islanders, who have played three more games, have 74 points. And Pittsburgh, who has played the same number of games, have one or have 73 points. And it does kind of feel like the wind's coming out of their sails a little bit. We talked about this a lot at the trade deadline. And how I'm content with this team. I, I'm, I'm glad they made a few moves, including for Jordan Greenway. I'm happy with that. That's fine. I'm, I'm all right with that. But it, I'm having a tough time balancing the, man, I want them to win more. I, I want them to make the playoffs. I want them to end that drought. And then also being like, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled at how the progression's gone. Like I think a lot of people that listen to the show or have heard me talk, you guys know like my favorite player on the, on the team is Dylan Cousins. I, for whatever reason, I've gravitated towards Cousins. He's my favorite player. Thompson's maybe the most fun to watch. I think Dylan's the most skilled. But for whatever it is, Cousins is my dude. Like That's my guy. It's my ride or die. If he's traded, I might get emotional. They locked him up for seven years. I loved it. He had a beautiful goal last night. Beautiful. One-on-one. Surprisingly fast for someone of his stature. And the progression of him, he's going to be a 30-goal scorer this year. He is well on his way to 30 goals. That's the kind of progression. Like, I'm loving Jack Quinn on the first line with Alex Tuck out. Oh, my word, that kid has so much skill just locked into him. He's so young, he's developing, but there's so much ability there that you're just kind of like, oh, man, just just marinate for like two more years. You're going to be like a 35-40 goal scorer. Like, like you're, you're going to be amazing. I cannot wait. Thompson becoming what feels like a 100-point scorer. I, I don't want to necessarily say that he's still projected to get there. I'm not actually sure if he is. But like he's he's looking like a complete offensive dynamo. He's one of the most dangerous players in, in the National Hockey League. And Rasmus Dahlin has officially taken his spot as one of the best defensemen in all of hockey. And yet, because of how they've had moments this year of, of really putting themselves in the position to make the playoffs, I, I'm going to be frustrated. Maybe not at the team. I'm I'm certainly not going to ask for you know Granado's job or Adam's job. Far from it. I think what they have done with this team in such short time is absolutely something to be commended for. I mean, like they have done really unbelievable work. I think people do forget, like when Jack Eichel was traded. Let's let's rewind the clocks a little over a year. What were the positives? Honestly, what were the positives on the roster? Everyone kind of liked Granado because of what you got to see with him when he became the interim head coach, and you, and you saw there was a little bit more of a flash of Reinhardt, but he, of course, is gone. And it's like, okay, we traded Reinhardt, that's fine, but like, like I really like this Granado guy. Like The pipeline, they're kind of building it up. But even like the Jack Quinn pick, was a lot of fans on, on Twitter, at least I remember that night, were not thrilled about that pick at all. They wanted Marco Rossi. So it, that wasn't even necessarily something where people are sitting there going, 
yeah, they got like you know the best player in the draft. It was like, no, I'm furious. Owen Power, you're kind of feeling like that's on the way. All right, sweet. Like number one overall defenseman. Maybe this time it won't go bad because at that point, Darlene was still there was kind of this negative aura around him of like, man, he's just not the Norris winning. You know, you're kind of looking at Kale McCarr going, I thought that's what Darlene would be. Even Adam Fox a little bit to that extent as well. So there was just kind of there was negative vibes everywhere. And even just outright players, Thompson had not emerged. Skinner had the worst contract in hockey. Tuck we didn't know about yet. Krebs we did not know about yet. What were the positives? Cousins, I guess, is like a young guy, did really well in the juniors, came right in. A really good glue guy as well. Kind of looked like just like, all right, cool, he might be like a third-line center with some scoring ability. Sweet. Like, all right, this is working. This is good. But he's still young, so you didn't totally know because he scored a lot in juniors. And then last year happened when they trade Eichel. Tuck comes in after his injury. He he finally comes in, and there's there's this there's moments with this team where you're like, man, they just every time it's a big game, they seem to like hit it out of the park. Krebs kind of shows his little scrappy side. One of the better passers on the team. Thompson completely emerges with 38 goals. Looks incredible. You kind of want to see a little more of the playmaking touch, but there's there's huge positives there. Darlene, second half of the season really emerges out of completely left field, and a lot of people left last season and going, man, if we had even average goaltending, we make the playoffs. The Sabres try to make a move this year for Eric Comrie. Statistically and analytically, he looked like a great pickup. It has not worked out great. They bring back Craig Anderson. UPL, they're hoping he makes that jump, and that's kind of where we're at now. But you look at what the vibes were when they traded Eichel. Yes, they traded Eichel, and for a lot of fans, it was kind of this, even if you liked him, it was kind of like this, all right, we, we can now... Move on. We can now begin the next chapter. But outside of that, it's a very dark place to be. The team and the fan base were just so ugh. There was no positivity. There was, and, and to be fair, I'm not judging anyone for that. There was nothing to be positive about. It was awful. That was what. Now it was going to be, you know, going into year ten of the drought, and it's just, it's like, what is happening here? Because there were years in the Eichel era that you would have thought the team was going to make the playoffs. They had potentially a good enough roster with Ryan O'Reilly, Evander Kane, Jeff Skinner, That uh, the one year where he scores 40 goals, the 10-game win streak. There were periods where you thought, hey, they can do it. And it was always, I mean, colossal collapses. I mean, just historic, biblical kind of stuff. The 10-game win streak is kind of one of those. I've kind of said it a few times on this show, but I, I really am going to stand by it. If they don't make the playoffs this year, I'm okay with that because I'm almost positive they're going to make it next year. I am looking at this team and how much talent they have. Do they have to add on the blue line? Yes. I want Bryson as far away from this lineup next year as humanly possible. He's just not big enough. He gets bullied off the puck routinely. He is in a spin cycle routinely. Victor Olofsson. Yes, he scores goals, but man, when he goes on a dry spell, he is useless on the ice at times. I mean, just useless. And I like a lot of the young players they have coming up. Yuri Kulik and Matthew Savoy, just to name two. And then you also have the added bonus that in Rochester, you're going to likely have Devin Levi, who a lot of people nationally who cover the league are thinking highly of him. 
the vibes are so different than they were just a little over a year ago. And that's typically how it goes in sports, especially in a sport like hockey where things can switch at you know in a moment's notice. You get a trade, a player pops off. It's kind of what's happening with the Sabres with the emergence of, of Tage Thompson, Rasmus Dahlin really, really discovering his best play and all that stuff. I don't think this season is a failure by any stretch. I am not even really upset at the season. I look forward to every single Sabres game. I look at the schedule and and plan it out. You know, days with my friends like when we're going to watch together, when we're going to go to certain games. Yes, they're getting a little more expensive, and that's not. I'm not loving it because especially because I spent the last few years going to Sabres games when they were bad, but it was just an easy way. It was cheap to go out and hang out with friends, but. Now I'm enjoying like kind of like having to throw down a little bit of money, even though I don't necessarily want to, just because I'm thinking, man, but if they make the playoffs, like I'm gonna be there. And and that's the thing too, is like just talking with my buddies, it's not something where like we're like making it up in our head, kind of like, you know, what if they make the playoffs this year? It is really becoming one of those things like, dude, if they do it, like we're going. Like we're it's gonna happen. Like I'm I'm enjoying having these conversations. I'm enjoying the fact that I'm getting mad at losses. I remember this feeling with the Bills because it wasn't that long ago where all of a sudden now it's like any regular season loss was a gut punch. Like, come on, man. Like, we're in the one-seat hunt. Like, we're looking for playoffs. Like, all that stuff. Now, I'm kind of feeling this way with the Sabres and I'm enjoying it. I want them to be better. I do. They're going to have to figure out that goaltending situation. They're going to have to because you cannot wait for Levi. But I'm excited to see what they can do because I trust this regime. I really, really do. Everything Granado says, I've said it a few times here. Everything Granado says, I'm just, I am locked in. Anytime he is speaking, I am just both ears and I'm just locked into whatever he's saying. I just love everything he talks about. Kevin Adams has kind of become the same way as well, especially with the trade deadline and him, and him getting almost emotional talking about the team they have here. I know some were a little worried that that gave them flashbacks to Darcy Regeer and almost refusing to trade players. But where they're at now, I'm just I'm not worried. I really, really love what this team is building. And while it may have been nice for them to make a big trade to, to break the drought and maybe get in, maybe they went around, depending on the player they could have gotten. Maybe. But they were not making a run at the Cup. They weren't even making a run at the Eastern Conference Finals. But in the next few years, I think they absolutely will be doing that. We're going to take a quick timeout when we come back. I want to give my thoughts on the Stefan Tiggs, I guess, situation. He's tweeting a lot. It's very cryptic. It's very wide receiver of him. We'll do that when we come back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back into the nightcap here on WGR. Final segment as we wrap up a Wednesday here. And I do kind of want to get my thoughts on the stuff. I, I guess it's the Stefan Diggs situation. I'm laughing a little bit just because I've, I've seen a lot of people mention, like, potentially he wants out, he wants to get traded, he wants to go play with the Cowboys, and, and, and all this fun stuff just because he's tweeting a little bit. I guess he's not following the Bills anymore on Instagram and stuff like that. And, like, this does happen, like, all the time with professional athletes. Their Instagrams, a lot of them is for for regular people like me and you. It's more of a our easiest way to express ourselves to a large amount of people. For professional athletes, for celebrities, their Instagrams, their Twitter accounts, the Facebooks when that you know when that was bigger. That's how they did branding. That's how they like got out like all the stuff that they're doing with companies. It's not like really them. So when I see that he's no longer following the Buffalo Bills and he's deleted a bunch of uh, pictures, but now all of a sudden he's posting a ton of his pictures with him and his clothing line, yeah, I'm not too surprised by that. I'm not going to, like, you know, just stir up a little bit because of it. it yeah, that makes sense. 
Now, in terms of his tweeting, he's a wide receiver, guys. He is going to have the most cryptic, out-of-pocket stuff in the world. If you read a wide receiver's tweets, you should always think this 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 thought process. He believes someone is going to stab him in the back. That is every wide receiver, every great wide receiver in NFL history. They all have unbelievable paranoia. They believe they're the greatest of all time, and they believe if they don't get the ball more, the team will absolutely lose every single game. That is wide receivers in a nutshell. So when I see today that he tweeted out that, like, you know, it's, it's, it's not personal, it's only business, he probably canceled a DoorDash order. Or he told someone, yeah, we can't be doing a deal. And a lot of it, too, is he likes the attention. He knows for a fact that he's probably being talked about. That he did mention that he would love to play with his brother one of these days, and it probably would be in Dallas because Dallas is going to sign into a long-term deal. I would not be surprised if Stephon Diggs ends his career in Dallas to play a year with his brother. I won't be surprised. Will I be upset? Yeah, kind of because it's Dallas, but outside of that, I'm like, no, cool, dude, live out that dream. That's amazing. They're a very close family. Diggs lost his father at a young age. He kind of had to be a father figure. That would be unbelievable if he got to play in the NFL with his brother before he retired. I would love that. just would love it for it to not be in Dallas. I don't think Diggs is going anywhere at all. He is resetting the Bills record books in the three years he's been here. He is putting together what could be perceived, you know, in two or three years if he continues on his pace. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. It's potentially a Hall of Fame career. And that's starting off in Minnesota where they just did not use him a lot. They were not in a throwing offense. But now he's had five straight years of 1,000 yards or more. He's had two all-pro seasons with the Bills. He's been a three-time Pro Bowler. The last two years as well, he's starting to put up double-digit touchdown numbers, and he routinely is putting up 100 catch seasons. He's probably thrilled. But at the end of last year, as we all know, as we all called in about, as we all talked about, the offense was sputtering. There were issues there. Would I have liked Diggs to have handled himself better? Yes, I also would have liked Ken Dorsey to have handled himself better in Miami. It didn't happen. We move on. But at the time, I knew why Diggs was mad. I agreed with him. And now, I don't think he's looking to go anywhere. Why would he? Where else is he going to go in the NFL where he's going to get that exact same production and likely win a Super Bowl? Where? Kansas City? Why would they trade for him? They traded for Kadarius Toney. They have young guys everywhere, and they refuse to pay Tyreek Hill. Stephon Diggs instead got paid by, by Buffalo. So he's not going there. Green Bay, you're not playing with Rodgers, and I don't even know if that's the same Rodgers you'd want to play with anyways. So you want to build up that career with Jordan Love? Be my guest. The Jets, no. They already have Elijah Moore wanting out and potentially still wanting out. Where would he go? Dallas? So you can trade time with C.D. Lamb and try to figure that whole thing out? Dak Prescott is not a better quarterback than Allen, and Allen and Diggs have developed a a combination together that is historically good, especially for the Bills. Why would he want to go anywhere else? His agent is probably saying that if he really did want to leave Buffalo, 
His agent is probably saying the same thing of, ooh, that's probably not a great idea. And even then, the cap hit to the Bills is enormous. They would not guarantee it. They would, all right, cool, sit out. That's fine. But we literally can't trade you. You'll cripple the franchise in terms of cap hit. And again, why would he want to? He's, he, personally, he is doing incredibly well. He has now become a household name since being, the, since being with Buffalo. I cannot see him wanting to leave at all. That's going to do it here for the nightcap. Coming up tomorrow, the Sabres host the Dallas Stars at 7. Pre-game will start at 6. That's going to be right here on WGR for both. So that'll do it for me. I'll have a show again on Friday. We'll probably talk about the Sabres game as well. But, of course, college basketball as we get closer and closer to Selection Sunday. And speaking of Selection Sunday, the tournament, of course, is almost here. WGR will have live coverage of Selection Sunday starting at 6 p.m., of course, this Sunday. And then it's brought to you by Bathfitter. Improve your bath in one day. It just fits. Bathfitterbuffalo.com and by Baskets, Bets, and Brews. Brought to you by Seneca Buffalo Creek and Casino. Nothing else comes close. That's going to do it here. You've been listening to the Nightcap on WGR business you know the value of time GetRefunds.com does too t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning right now families and small businesses can save up to 20 percent versus at&t and verizon when they switch visit your local t-mobile store today 